welcome to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Join us every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio for a look at the life, deeds, and words of Yeshua Messiah and his followers. From the Torah-centric Hebraic perspective, they were originally lived and written in. program is on Mark chapter 9 verse 14 through verse 50. What is faith about? And what is faith based on? Are we always able to do what Messiah can do? What happens when we're not able? Why weren't the disciples able to cast out the demon? And why did that kind of demon require prayer and fasting? What is the attitude we should have toward other believers who aren't part of our group? Was Messiah advocating cutting off body parts? If not, what was he talking about? What does, where their worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched, reference? And what did Messiah mean when he was talking about salt? Stay tuned through to the end of today's program for Eliyahu Ben David's insight on these questions and more in Mark chapter 9, verse 14 through verse 50. And now, here's today's scripture portion. Mark chapter 9, verse 14 through verse 50. Coming to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes questioning them. Immediately, all the multitude, when they saw him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, greeted him. He asked the scribes, What are you asking them? One of the multitude answered, Rabbi, I brought to you my son, who has a mute spirit, and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams at the mouth, and grinds his teeth and wastes away. I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they weren't able. He answered him, Unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. They brought him to him, and when Messiah saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground, wallowing and foaming at the mouth. He, that is Messiah, asked his father, How long has it been since this has come to him? He said, From childhood. Often it has cast him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Yeshua said to him, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out with tears, I believe! Help my unbelief! When Yeshua saw that a multitude came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, 
you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Having cried out and convulsed greatly, it came out of him. The boy became like one dead, so much that most of them said, He is dead. But Yeshua took him by the hand and raised him up, and he arose. When he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why couldn't we cast it out? He said to them, This kind can come out by nothing except by prayer and fasting. They went out from there and passed through Galilee. He didn't want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being handed over to the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, on the third day, he will rise again. But they didn't understand the saying, and were afraid to ask him. He came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing among yourselves on the way? But they were silent. For they had disputed one with another on the way about who was the greatest. He sat down, and called the twelve, and he said to them, if any man wants to be first, he shall be last of all, and servant of all. He took a little child and set him in their midst. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me doesn't receive me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Rabbi, we saw someone who doesn't follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he doesn't follow us. But Yeshua said, Don't forbid him, for there is no one who will do a mighty work in my name and be able quickly to speak evil of me. For whoever is not against us is on our side. For whoever will give you a cup of water to drink in my name because you are Messiah's, most certainly I tell you, he will in no way lose his reward. Whoever will cause one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if he were thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around his neck. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having your two hands to go into Gehenna into the unquenchable fire, where their worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life lame, rather than having your two feet to be cast into Gehenna into the fire that will never be quenched, where their worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, cast it out. It is better for you to enter into the kingdom of Elohim with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into the Gehenna of fire, where their worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, with what will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another.
And now, here's Eliyahu ben David with insight on that portion. Now, I've picked out a few things. I'm not going into every verse, but there's some things that I wanted to talk about. Here in this first section, what happens here is Yeshua shows up during an ongoing controversy between his disciples and the scribes. And what's happening is that these scribes are grilling the disciples. And the reason for this is that the disciples had a failure, and the scribes were likely discrediting them because of their failure, and therefore they were putting the bad light on their rabbi, on Yeshua, as if the failure of the disciples was his failure, and they were using his absence as an opportunity to do this. Because the thing is, whenever he was around, whenever they would come up with their negative comments, he always had an answer that put them in their place. So they were feeling like this was a real opportunity for them to score one against him. So what happened? Well, a multitude was there, and when he showed up, it says they were amazed. There's a number of reasons why they could have been amazed, but it seems like what they were amazed about was his timing, because he happened to show up at exactly the right moment to catch them at what they were doing, to deal with the situation, and to deal with his disciples. You know what? Messiah's timing is amazing. I've seen this happen so many times, and you probably have too. Sometimes it seems like he's too late. I bet you those disciples who were being unbraided by these scribes were thinking, where is he? But he showed up at exactly the right time, and he did what needed to be done. Sometimes we might feel that way. Well, where is he? I need him right now. But you know, if he's allowing a little more time to go by, it's for a reason. And he will show up on time. Trust that and trust him. So he finds out now, he asks the scribes, what are you asking them? The scribes didn't answer, but one of the multitude answers, and he says, Rabbi, I brought to you my son. Now, I like that part because, yeah, he ended up with the disciples, but he was really going for Yeshua, right? And he's kind of putting the two together. He's kind of in his own mind, okay, this is the group. This is Yeshua's group here. So that's kind of how he sees it. And you know, this is how the world sees us as believers. I really don't want the world judging Messiah by me. But you know what? They do that. They judge Messiah by you and by every other believer. And yet, 
like these disciples here who failed. We fail. Don't make the same mistake of judging Messiah by his people because his people do fail sometimes, but he never does fail. Well, it goes on and it says about his son. He says, I brought to you my son who has a mute spirit and wherever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and wastes away. Do you have compassion for that boy when you hear what was happening to him? He says, I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they weren't able. Now, wait a minute here. Didn't Messiah already give them the ability to cast out demonic spirits? And now they weren't able. What were they thinking when it wasn't working? What do you think when it isn't working? What do you think when sometimes you try to put into operation something that you think is what Messiah has said, but then it doesn't work the way you're expecting? That happens. (laughs) And that's what Messiah is addressing tonight, and that is part of the very important value of this particular lesson. What happens when we're not able So, the question comes up, are disciples always able to do what Messiah can do? And it was true back then, (laughs) it's true now, no. No, we're not always able. Should we be able? That's another question. As a matter of fact, Messiah addressed that. He answered them, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? And then he says, bring him to me. He's talking to everybody there, to the disciples. He says, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? You know, in these verses tonight, although I'm not going into this tonight, he tells them again that soon he's going to be killed. He's not going to be with them anymore. He's wanting to see them stepping forward and rising up in faith and succeeding at the things he's teaching them. Clearly, they didn't do that in this case. Somehow they missed the boat. They did not have the faith to perform this work. So he says, how long shall I be with you? Saying, I'm only going to be here a little while longer. Step it up. Would he talk that way to them? Would he talk that way to you? Listen, he's not into being polite, okay? That's for society. He is into being truthful. And he cares enough to tell the truth to his disciples. He's saying, you're not believing. Step it up here. To the scribes, how long shall I bear with you? Everything he is doing, okay, it all proves who he is. It all proves what Messiah was sent on the earth to do. It all proves what the Father is doing, and yet they continue to try to tear everything down because of their unbelief. 
Should he be upset about that? I think he should. And then, of course, all of this applies at various levels to the multitude who are listening. So what was the problem? Why the disciples could not cast out this demon? If we look at what Messiah says, it's because of some level of unbelief. In fact, that's the whole problem here. Unbelief. That's why it didn't work. Is that Messiah's fault? Well, the Father goes on and says, Often it has cast him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Do you know demonic spirits do that to people? They get control of a person. And then when they have control of their body, they will actually cause harm to the person and sometimes even bring them to their death. This does happen. Then he says, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Now look at that sentence. If you can do anything. If you can do anything. Is that what you should say to Messiah? If you can do anything? Is there any question as to whether or not he can do anything? What about in your life? Do you ever say that to him? Well, if you could just help me with this. No, he can help you with this. He can help you with this. Yeshua said to him, if you can believe. He's saying, it's not up to what I can do, because I can do it. It's up to you. It's up to whether you can believe for this. See, he's turning it right around, isn't he? It's a matter of faith here. It's a matter of belief. Just like with the disciples there, the problem is not with Messiah. The problem has to do with unbelief. And Messiah goes on and says this, all things are possible to him who believes. Now, sometimes this is misinterpreted as if you have some kind of superpowers within you and anything you wish and can imagine must happen. That's not what this is saying in this context. He just asked Messiah to do something. What he's saying is, if you have enough faith, then anything can be done for you. That's what he's saying. And that's true. Now, is it possible for God to give you a gold-plated Cadillac? If you ask him, is he going to give you a gold-plated Cadillac? Well, if you need it, of course, he'll give it to you. But you know what? He probably won't give it to you. The fact that he could give it to you doesn't mean he will give it to you. If it's not good for you, he's not going to give it to you. So that's not what this is talking about, okay? It's not talking about 
your own selfish desires and some superpower to order God around and tell him what to do. That's not what it's about. You know what it's about? Are you ready for this? It's about the Torah. It's about the covenant relationship that Yahweh had with these very people Messiah is talking to. The Torah defines a relationship with the people of Israel. And the Torah is filled with promises of all the things that Yahweh will do for those who honor his Torah and put their trust in him. That's a little different look at this, isn't it? But those are the people he's talking to. And this is the reason why he could be so upset with them, because of their unbelief. They have a document that God gave them personally on Mount Sinai, in fire, in thunder, that he wrote with his own hand. He passed it down to them in the pages of the Torah, and he promised them, if you keep my covenant, all these blessings will come to you, and I will do these things for you. All these promises from him. Do you understand why it's so important that we are part of Israel? It's the covenant relationship. It's the covenant relationship. Faith is not just some nebulous thing. Faith is based on a relationship with our Father. And that relationship is defined by the Torah, where we have all these promises from God of all these ways in which he promises to bless his people. So you see, to believe is not some wispy thing that you can't put your finger on. It's to trust what your father has told you he would do for you if you put your trust in him. It is in that context of the covenant that all things are possible to him who believes. It's talking within the context of the covenant. Everybody involved here is under the covenant. So this man hears this, and he's struck with the truth that the defect is in his faith. And he says with tears, I believe, help my unbelief. Why is it so hard for us to believe what our Father has told us? And yet all of us find ourselves with these moments of unbelief. It's because of 
the fallen sin nature within us. And we must not let that rule us. And so we can cry out to our Father and say, okay, I have this little bit of faith. I have enough faith to ask you to help me with this problem of unbelief so that I can have the faith to move forward. This is a prayer of an overcomer. You know, you might look at this and say, well, this is the prayer of somebody who's weak in faith. Maybe it is. But it's also the prayer of an overcomer, someone that wants to overcome that unbelief in their life so that they can actually take a hold of the promises of the covenant-keeping God. That's the person I want to be. How about you? It takes caring. This man cared. He cried out with tears. You must care or your faith is no good. It's not going to carry you through. You have to care. You must care enough to cry out to your father and ask him to help you, to give you that faith that you need. When Yeshua saw that a multitude came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to him, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. Now, this didn't take all day. This did not take a lot of paraphernalia or a lot of mumbo-jumbo. Messiah commanded this spirit, and it says, having cried out and convulsed greatly, it came out of him. Yes, there was a reaction, okay? Yeshua commanded the spirit to leave. And then there was a fight that took place inside that person. And it was a spiritual battle that happened inside of that person as this demonic spirit was cast out of him. And after this struggle that could actually be seen in the convulsions of this boy, as the spirit left, as the evil spirit left him, all the struggle was over. And this boy was laying there as one dead, totally silent, totally not moving. What was happening? A peace had come over this boy. His faculties were being returned to him. His equilibrium was being returned to him. And Yeshua took him by the hand and raised him up, and he arose. When he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast it out? They just saw Messiah do it. They now knew it's possible, right? They're wondering, why couldn't we do it? He said to them, this kind can come out by nothing except by prayer and fasting. 
Messiah didn't pray and fast, did he? He just commanded the spirit to leave and it had to leave. Messiah has perfect faith. Unfortunately, we don't all have perfect faith. And those disciples were not at a place where they had perfect faith. He had already told them that. For them, this kind could only come out by prayer and fasting. Well, why is that? Why were they able to cast out other demons, but not this demon? Well, from what I've seen about this, now I'm just giving you my own understanding and from my limited experience with this sort of thing. But what I've seen is that there are some spirits that are more difficult to cast out because they didn't just come in through some mistake that a person made, allowing some stronghold in their life, but they came into the person's life through some means that gave them a feeling that there was a covenant, giving them a right to the person. You see, everything is about covenants, ultimately, in the spirit world. And I had a case like this one time, where the person that I was ministering to had a demonic spirit. And when I would go to cast out this demonic spirit through prayer, they would be tormented. The person would be tormented by the spirit so that what they experienced was being in a fire. And their skin would actually get red and they were being tormented by fire so that I would have to stop because the torment was so bad on that person. So this was the first time I ever encountered this kind of a situation. And when I prayed about this, Yahweh reminded me of this verse. So I realized to succeed with this, I would have to enter into prayer and fasting. So I set aside some time for this. And I spent time in prayer and fasting. And what happened was I received a word of knowledge through the Holy Spirit that showed me that this person had actually been dedicated to Satan by their parents. Their parents were Satanists. And this all happened even before the age that this child would remember. Now, that's pretty horrible, isn't it? You know, there are people that do this. Don't be too surprised by it. You know, you read in the Bible about people who offered up their children to Molech in order to bring certain benefits into their life. Even today, there are people who will offer up their children, as you might say, a living sacrifice to Satan in order to receive certain benefits 
in their life. And you might be surprised at who some of these people are. But we won't go into that tonight. The thing is, if the parents have actually entered into an evil covenant with Satan in order to give that child to Satan, well, that devil is not going to give up when you say, go away in the name of Messiah. Because that devil says, hey, wait a minute here. The Bible says parents have authority over the children, and the parents gave this child to me, which is the same as God giving this child to me, so I'm going nowhere. And you find yourself banging your head against the wall like these disciples did. What happened for me with prayer and fasting is when I saw what happened, then I was able to minister to this person and show them, you're not a little child anymore. You are past the age of majority. You can make your own decision about this. You can break this evil covenant. And that's what happened. And this spirit was driven out. Now, sometimes spirits cannot be driven out because the person has made a decision that they want to continue to entertain those spirits. You see, this all has to do with free will. There is a battle for your mind. And that is so much what this is all about. But I don't want to get too far afield with any of this. However, I think it's important to bring in some of this information so you can understand that a verse like this, this kind can come out by nothing except by prayer and fasting. This is not just some mystery that nobody understands. This is about real things that really happen in dealing with spiritual powers. And... You don't need to feel like these disciples unable to do what the scriptures tell you because you run into a case like this where this spirit doesn't come out. I assume that if you do what I did, you'll get the same result. (laughs) And he will show you how to move forward in that case. He will show you what's going on in that case. You don't need to come to somebody like me to cast out a demon. You have authority to do it. Do you believe? You have authority to do it. Step forward and do what you need to do. If you get put in that situation, you can do it. And a whole lot more. Well, here's another part I wanted to talk about tonight. John said to Messiah, Rabbi, we saw someone who doesn't follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he doesn't follow us. So look at the picture here. They saw somebody who wasn't them, okay, casting out demons, but not just casting out demons, casting them out in the name 
of Messiah. And they forbade him from doing it because he wasn't part of their group. He was actually doing it, apparently. But you know what they were suffering from? Groupthink. I just want to tell you this. Here at Zion, we don't think like that. We don't think like we're the only believers in the world that can do anything in the name of Messiah. Here's what probably was happening right then. There was a transition going on. John, Yohanan, had done a work before Messiah came along. The scriptures tell us Yohanan had disciples. And he pointed everybody to Messiah as the true Messiah, okay? So apparently, what probably happened here is there were some of the disciples of John who believed in Yeshua as the Messiah. And therefore, they were casting out demons in Messiah's name. And it worked because they believed. They weren't part of the group, though. Why weren't they part of the group? They were still in that work that John had done. In other words, it was a time of transition going on, okay? Eventually, these people, no doubt, found their way in with those who were the disciples of Messiah. It hadn't happened yet. I kind of equate this to our situation today. We are in the midst of a great transition among believers. And so, while I believe, according to the book of Revelation and other prophecies, that eventually the remnant is going to come out from among all the believers, and then even a much greater harvest is going to happen after that. That is in the process of happening. You see, the remnant is in the process of being raised up. Where are they? Well, aren't they scattered in these other works? Or haven't they left different works and they're out there in their own? So does this mean because, you know, they're not part of our group, that they're not in contact with Messiah, that they're not part of Israel? Doesn't mean that. It just means that there's a process going on. And it's moving forward. And those people are being drawn together. But in the meantime, they belong to Messiah. And if they are believing him, trusting him, we have every right to believe that they're his. We should believe they're his. This is what he said. Don't forbid him, for there is no one who will do a mighty work in my name and be able quickly to speak evil of me. Isn't that true? If you think about that. Think about various groups and so forth out there who teach, who 
do a number of things in the name of Jesus. Are they going to be able then to turn around and speak against Yeshua? You see, they're all performing a service too, aren't they? Even if they're not getting everything exactly right of spreading knowledge about him. And then people respond and they start on this road. And many of them may end up being with us. So he says, whoever is not against us is on our side. And then he says this, for whoever will give you a cup of water to drink in my name because you are Messiah's, most certainly I tell you, he will in no way lose his reward. If you have people out there who are favorable towards you, who are friendly towards you, friendly towards your message, even if they don't jump on board with you, realize Messiah sees what they are doing. He sees that they are friendly to the message. He sees that they are friendly to him at work in you. And they will receive a reward for doing that. Well, now I wanted to talk about this part. This is where Yeshua says, if your hand, foot, eye causes you to stumble, cut it off and cast it out. Some of the early church fathers, one of them I'm thinking of is Origen, took this so literally that he actually cut off his own reproductive organs to be sure that he would never sin by looking at a woman wrongly. Is that what Messiah is saying to do? I don't think so, because Messiah knows the same Torah we know, and the Torah is definitely against maiming your body. So, clearly, Messiah was talking in a figurative sense here, because he wouldn't tell us to do something against what the Torah tells us. What he's saying to do here is anything that you would take action on, hand, foot, or eye, that is a stumbling block, remove that thing from your life. That's what he's telling us. And then he says, rather than being cast into the Gehenna of fire, where their worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. Now, this particular translation uses the word Gehenna. Some actually use the word hell or Hades, but in the Greek, it doesn't use that. It uses the word Gehenna, which is actually a borrowed Hebrew word. And What he says about this is where their worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. This is actually a quote from Isaiah 66. And if you get a chance sometime, read Isaiah 66, because it's talking about the final judgment, and it talks about the remnant there. And the thing is, to go into all that tonight would take us too far afield from this. So you might want to read this in your personal study. But this is talking about the final battle. And it's talking about the righteous survivors 
of that battle. And it says, they shall go forth and look on the dead bodies of the men who have transgressed against me. For their worm shall not die, neither shall their fire be quenched, and they will be loathsome to all mankind. Now notice that the bodies are dead. Did you notice that? It's the worm that doesn't die, not the person. The worm doesn't die, and the fire isn't quenched. We, now we have a commentary that talks about this. Barnes notes in the Bible, For their worms shall not die. This image is evidently taken from the condition of unburied bodies and especially on a battlefield. The Hebrew word properly refers to the worms which are generated in such corrupting bodies. So, clearly, the context is it's talking about dead bodies lying on the battlefield, and the worms do not die until they have totally consumed all the bodies. That's what it's talking about. So it's talking about utter and total annihilation of these bodies. That's what it's talking about. Neither shall their fire be quenched. Continuing from Barnes' notes, the fire that shall consume them shall burn perpetually. This image is taken evidently from the fires kindled especially in the valley of Hinnom, to consume puffed and decaying substances. Now, he's mentioning the valley of Hinnom, which is the same as the Greek pronunciation Gehenna, Hinnom and Gehenna. And it goes on and it says, that was a valley on the south side of Jerusalem into which the filth of the city was thrown, including dead bodies, I might add. This place was subsequently regarded as a place of special abomination by the Jews. The air was polluted, and it was necessary to keep fires continually burning there. It was called the Gehenna of Fire, and was the image which the Savior often employed to denote the future punishment of the wicked. So, Think about the bodies of criminals, along with all the garbage and refuse that was thrown into this valley of Hinnom that was constantly kept burning. What happened to everything thrown into that valley of Hinnom? Did it live on? See, this is a completely different picture than the Greek hell, isn't it? This is a picture of utter and complete consumption. All of this was totally consumed in these fires of Gehenna. So that is what Messiah is talking about here. Now here's another passage that is another witness to what I'm saying. This is Matthew 10, 28. It says, don't be afraid of those who kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. Rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body 
in Gehenna. It uses the word destroy here. And when you look up the Greek word, it means to destroy fully, destroy, perish, destroy, destroy utterly. So the idea is total and complete consumption and annihilation. This word destroy could not apply to the soul if the soul was actually some ethereal thing that lives on forever, that couldn't be destroyed. The scriptures are very specific in the words they use, and it's talking about both your soul and your body. Many times uh, the word for soul is used for your life, including your future life in the resurrection. Now we have Mark 9, 49 through 50, and it's helping to explain all this for us. It says, for everyone will be salted with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Now these verses are often kind of confusing for people, and rightly so. And what you need to realize is that when you come to verses that are confusing for you, it's very possible that what Messiah is talking about is something in the Torah. This is true with Yeshua. The Apostle Paul does this all the time. And because people don't really understand that fact, they get confused with verses like this. What Messiah is actually talking about here is Leviticus chapter 2. And what tips us off about this is the salting of the sacrifice. In Leviticus chapter 2, it explains all this to us. Now, for more information about this, you can look at our Midrash program number 71 that goes into Leviticus 2. But Leviticus 2 verse 1 says, when anyone offers an offering of a meal offering to Yahweh, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. So what it's talking about here, the kind of sacrifice, is a meal offering. That's uh, what's dealt with here in the section that Messiah is referring to. And the meal offering comes after the blood sacrifice. Now, the blood sacrifice is for the purpose of atonement for sin. The meal offering comes later because it's not about sin. It's, you might call it, a fellowship offering with Yahweh. It comes after the blood sacrifice. So, in the renewed covenant, that's akin to the believer's walk of faith after receiving salvation. And Romans 12.1 is one place where it tells us this. It says, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of Elohim, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to Elohim, which is your spiritual service. So, 
your service as a believer to Yahweh is pictured by this meal offering. And that's what Messiah is referring to here. Now, here's more. He says, for everyone will be salted with fire. Now, it's interesting he says everyone, because he's still referring to Leviticus here, where it's talking about the meal offering, and he uses the word everyone. He does that because he knows that the meal offering pictures your spiritual walk. And it's really talking about people. It's talking about believers under the renewed covenant. He knows that, and he uses the word everyone. Isn't that cool? And it says everyone will be salted with fire. Leviticus 2.9 says the priest shall take from the meal offering its memorial and shall burn it on the altar, an offering made by fire of a pleasant aroma to Yahweh. So this is a picture for us of what happens in our spiritual walk, in our sacrifice of ourselves as believers. That fire comes into our life. Purifying trials come along into our life. Why does that happen? To produce a pleasant aroma to Yahweh. Well, wait a minute. Am I saying that Yahweh wants to see you suffer? No. He wants to see what trials produce in your life. Because just like fire releases a beautiful aroma, trials release this beautiful aroma of faith and determination from the life of the believer that is pleasing to our Father. This is what Yeshua is referring to. And he says, every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Leviticus 2.13 is what it's referring to. Every offering of your meal offering you shall season with salt. Neither shall you allow the salt of the covenant of your Elohim to be lacking from your meal offering. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. And that salt is the salt of the covenant of your Elohim. As I've said earlier, the covenant defines our relationship with Elohim. Messiah is talking about the covenant here and the salt of the covenant. The salt that preserves the covenant between us and our Father is faith, faith in Yahweh, to do the things he has covenanted and promised to do. 
Israel is in a covenant with Yahweh. That doesn't change. It remains true. But for that covenant to be effective in your life, what does it require of you? It requires of you to believe. It requires of you to depend on that covenant. It requires of you to pray the terms of that covenant to your father. You know, it's kind of like a courtroom in a way. You know, you go before your father and you say, okay, the covenant says you'll do this for me. I'm trusting that you're going to do that. Well, some people might say, well, wait a minute. Isn't that kind of presumptuous to think that God will do it? No, it isn't presumptuous. He said he would do it. That's what faith is, friends. It's something very solid. It's you believing in what your father told you. Something very solid. And it's salt. The salt of the covenant. It's what preserves the covenant between you and the father. Without the salt, you don't have the relationship, right? You don't have the relationship active. That's what it's talking about, the salt of the covenant. Yeshua says salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, with what will you season it? Have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. He's talking about faith throughout this. What is salt minus saltiness? It's the covenant without faith. It's inactive, right? Can we say that the covenant of Yahweh is inactive towards us? Yes, it is inactive towards us if we don't believe it and put it into action. You can be sure that your Father in heaven will keep his side of the covenant toward you. What's required of you is to believe it and put those things into action in your life. It's just as simple as that. So our faith is not some ethereal thing out there. Our faith is based in the covenant we have with our Father. And if we have no faith, the covenant cannot be active towards us. Not because our Father doesn't love us and doesn't want to do those things, but because we, through unbelief, are not receiving those things. That's how it works. Give and take. It's a give and take. It's a relationship. So your part of it is really important. And I'll have to tell you this, just like with these disciples, if this breaks down at any point, it's because of you. And I'm not saying that to put something on you, okay? We all have to deal with this. But really, if it breaks down, 
we have to look and see somewhere this unbelief. Now, where could that come from? It might just be that we don't know the provisions of the covenant. So we don't ask, right? We don't believe because we don't know. This is why we have a midrash on the Torah every week. So you will know what it says. Avail yourself of it. You need this. You need to know what the terms of the relationship are that you have with your father and what he has promised to do. And you know, we have a lot more in the words of Messiah that we have been going through, where he explains these things to us and makes it plain. Things that perhaps we haven't understood from the Torah, they become plain when he explains it, like all of this about the meal offering and the salt. He is explaining that to us to show us how that applies in our own lives. It's all about faith at work, your faith, your belief in your Father in heaven who loves you, who has made promises to you. And this is all about telling you how you can appropriate those promises and put them to work in your life. This is the challenge we all face, and isn't it a joyful thing? You know, this is kind of like finding the treasure chest and opening it up and finding all these wonderful things in there that our Father has put in there to bless us. Let's all do it. been listening to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Some of the scripture references made in today's program are Isaiah 66 verse 24, Exodus chapter 16 verse 20, Isaiah chapter 14 verse 11, Matthew chapter 10 verse 28, Leviticus chapter 2, especially verses 1, 9, and 13, and Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Further teachings and study materials on Israel's covenant with Yahweh, the promises of the covenant, the terms of the covenant, how believing Gentiles who put their faith in the King of Israel, Yeshua Messiah, are grafted into the covenant with Israel, Leviticus chapter 2, the Eliyahu and David Bet Midrash, program 71 on Leviticus 2, where you can listen to the Eliyahu and David Bet Midrash, casting out demons, spiritual gifts, putting your spiritual gifts to work, belief, faith, the Torah, and God's definition of love to him and to others, the believing remnant of Israel in Bible prophecy, and God's promises to our generation today along with many other related topics, can be found at our membership site, Zion Tabernacle. Sign up is free. Just go to zion.net.
That's T S I Y O N dot N E T. New programs on the Gospels will be airing every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio. Tune in next Shabbat to learn more from Hebraic insights in the Gospels. Shabbat Shalom. The restoration of the remnant of Israel is one of the most undertaught, neglected, and unknown major events in Bible prophecy. A strange fact, since prophecies and references to this event can be found all throughout almost every major book of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Now, Yahweh has raised up Zion Ministry to teach His remnant nation of Israel everything they need to know about this often neglected truth in His perfect timing. To learn who the remnant of Israel is, what the Zion mission is, and why we teach the things we do, go to our website at zion.org and click on Remnant Vision in the menu bar. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot O-R-G.